bowels of One Half Radio Plaza at Life Media Studios. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Real Country Radio. We don't play nothing but real country music. Coming up now, we're going to start off the set with... In the morning. Everybody's doing it. Pull you up a chair and listen to this. Dirty Hooker Diesel. I can feel the thunder that's breaking your heart. 
by Diesel Freak Tuning. Another special thanks to Sun Peak Oil keeping us lubed as we get through our show once again. different episode for you today is we deviate from hookers and blow we're gonna turn up the voltage as we go shocking hookers just for the fun of it another electrifying episode of sidetrack really that's the best you could do it's getting late <laughs> Yeah, but we got some good metal on uh, bringing us in here today. Quite the singer. I'm amped for this. Oh, man. <laughs> Ooh, feedback. That wasn't us. No. <laughs> The only applause we'll get all night. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's happy about it. <laughs> and no more lame electricity jokes. Maybe. Another uh, great intro bought to you by uh, Ghost. Uh, one of my new favorite bands and the best part, my three-year-old's favorite band currently. Yes. Cerise this time, and uh, of course, Square Hammer brought us in last week. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to go Google these guys or YouTube them, you got to just to see how they're dressed. Because my wife keeps asking me why when uh, Junior wants to play my favorite song, please on you, you know, on YouTube. And uh, yeah, it's these guys. She goes, they're worshiping Satan. He cannot listen to this. Kid's a metalhead. Sorry, what can I do? <laughs> they're, they're a little bit uh, Rob Zombie with a touch of, I don't know. Kiss? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, Kiss. That song has a little bit of a Slipknot influence. <laughs> so uh, with that, we're going to go to break, and uh, we'll be back. Uh, going to be a little bit longer episode for you here today, but... This is Sidetrack, powered by DHD, heard here on Pulling Radio Network. Dirty Hooker Diesel is your full-size diesel performance specialist, Harbor Beach. 
We're Michigan's final authority on anything performance and replacement related. Specializing in diesel performance parts and accessories for Duramax, Cummins, and Powerstroke diesel engines. From custom-built transmissions and engines to CP3 pumps and injectors. Check them out at DirtyHookerDiesel.com. Hi, this is Tony Burkett, owner of Dirty Hooker Diesel. We are a full-service repair facility that can handle any task from stock to modified, big or small. So give us a call, 989-479-0444. Dirty Hooker Diesel, the final authority on everything performance and replacement. Welcome back to Sidetracked on the Pulling Radio Network for our little uh, diversion from Hookers and Blow. Today we're shocking the hookers. Hey, I'm I'm up for any kinky shit out there, you know that. <laughs> and we're joined on our lines at this moment with, by uh, Paul Crow from C5 Performance. Good evening, sir. Hello, sir. How are you doing? We're doing fine. Wait, wait, I'm oh, not hold yet. On, hold on. on. Okay, he's better. All right, now I'm better. Now, Paul, when I called you, I told you, you had to, we had one prep thing you had to do. You got alcohol with you right now? I absolutely do. I got ice cold PBR in the can. Oh you know, man, Brian Deekman's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I drank PBR before it was cool. <laughs> hey, I, nothing better on a hot day than an ice cold PBR. But if that thing gets lukewarm, it just ain't really ain't worth finishing. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> so yeah today we're talking ignition systems and probably the newest ignition system to hit the pulling front and tractors in general uh the c5 ignition system and absolutely great product and uh caught my attention as everybody out there knows building the light limited super stock because well i can't stand having money in my wallet but one thing that really uh tore me on it was how i was going to do my ignition system and I instantly did not want to do just a regular, you know, Ford distributor plugged into the block, you know, to get that wider, you know, wider cap on there to avoid cross arcing. And of course, Electromotive, a company that a lot of pullers here locally utilize for a coil pack crank trigger setup. And um, then I got to see uh, Paul Crow's product here on Facebook and uh, man, what? What a product called Paul last week to talk ins and outs and every question I had he had an answer for. Tell us a little bit about what you are bringing to the market. The big difference between us and anything else that's available is that we use a a pair of optical triggers, very similar to what the military or a hospital would use. Uh, Optical triggers, the advantages of of optical is precision. Uh, They're not affected by temperature. They're not affected by most of the things that a magnet would be. Uh, They're rock solid. So you can make timing adjustments of one degree and actually feel it on a vehicle. So that's the main thing. The other thing is that taking what uh, MSD did and multi-sparking is that the company that designed this technology wanted to multi-spark at a much higher RPM, which up until this stuff came along it really wasn't uh it, it never happened and uh we've got systems that'll multiple spark up to between 14 and 18,000 rpm so anytime you can light the fire more than once that's a good thing especially when you have uh, let's say an rpm where it's not running so efficient and you mentioned light limited super stock which i to yet have experienced working with when you're out of your sweet range that's when having a precise ignition sometimes is more important than having a really strong ignition. 
meaning that just throwing a mag on it with absolutely no timing curve is not always an advantage over an ignition that um, that can be adjusted in tiny little increments. So, and we're American made, so that's our that's our difference right there. How much have you, you know, with the markets within the sport of pulling, what markets have you gotten into and what's your experience level been so far? In Well, we started with motorcycles because I spent my whole life managing two large stores, uh, motorcycle dealerships, and I've been involved in racing and, and that kind of stuff, bike building. So my background's motorcycles. Our business is still mainly motorcycles, although the tractor part of it, we've been hot and heavy in the last two years and uh it's growing you know constantly so the antique tractors um you know the farmall h's and the m's um the molines um a lot of oliver a lot of john deere twins we have the ability to fire four spark plugs in a john deere twin which prior to this unless you're going to build some home built goofy ignition system i don't know of any ignition system that was effective at firing all four plugs so we've been trying to, first we did conversions, uh, and that would be taking the stock ignition, gutting out everything and putting our stuff inside. The longer I did that, the more I realized that most of these distributors are just flat worn out. You know, they've been hammered on and pried on and sat in a field, and there's by the time you get them to where they really work well, sometimes you're better off just not using it. So we got into making our own um, our own distributors called the Pro System, and um, we can mix and match bodies and chavs and, and parts. And within the next month, probably, I will have about 80% of every American tractor covered. So if you want to convert, you can convert. And if you want to start out with a brand new distributor, as you call it, and I guess it really it's a, it's a crank trigger, um, then you can do that. So again, I'm trying to get where we can bring the um, reliability to a higher level than it's ever been before, and that helps us with precision. Uh, it also helps with consistency. If you're pulling and every weekend the temperature's a little different and your tractor runs a little different all the time, very hard. I don't care whether it's a tractor or a bike or a car or a boat. It, it's impossible to um, to work on your other management. You know, you're, you're running your team and you're messing with carburation and weights and tires and all the things you guys fret over. And if you can get it to the point where the ignition and the carburation have synchronized and they're consistent from week to week, well, now you can put that focus on other things. So I'm, you know, the last two years I've been learning. It's been, it's been learn, 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 learn. A lot of things that I learned in motorcycles does apply to tractors, but a lot of it is upside down. It's complete opposites. You know, you'd never drive a car or a motorcycle wide open and climb a hill to the point where you just don't downshift. You just run it until it shuts off. That's, you know, ludicrous to think about. But that's exactly what you're expected to do, to do with the tractor. So, um, like I said, I, there's a lot of smart people out there, and, and I'm not afraid to pick their brain if they allow me to. And I've learned a ton. So that's been the most enjoyable part, not, uh, you know, the growth has been fantastic, um, sales-wise and stuff, and to be able to offer um, parts for tractors that before this time I wasn't all that familiar with. You know, we had we had John Deere and uh, and Ford on our farm, and my mom grew up on a farm with all farmall. But then when you you know you see the Masseys and the and the Cockshuts and the Co-ops and the, and all the other different brands, the Molines, there weren't any Molines around us, so it, it's been fantastic to get lessons from. 
you know, from people. So, so many people think, and there's such a conception out there, and probably a misguided one, that the only thing that matters in ignition is the power. And but really, isn't that just? You can throw any giant coil and make enough, you know, juice to, you know, jumpstart half of Detroit if you wanted to. But really, you, you you mentioned that the precision aspect is really important, especially on the antique pullers where everything's all wallowed out and and probably not as tight as it could be. What's been your experience and 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 beyond even the the temperature variations and weather variations concerns, just making things actually intolerance again, uh, in in terms of how that has affected getting engines running. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll give you a brief example, just, and I'm going to offend maybe some of the listeners, but uh, farm all distributors. Uh, you know, most, almost everything had a Delco. Uh, and then if you were an Oliver six-cylinder, it had a, a Holly or a Mallory or sometimes a Delco. Even farm all used Delco at, at times. In my, in my experience, taking them apart and trying to get our electronics to fit in them, I, ha- I have to say that it's become a little bit of a joke around here. That, that I have never seen a farm all distributor that was really usable. And, and I don't think anyone realizes how bad they are. Um, and I'm not picking on them like, say, people don't like Holly because you can't get parts for them. There's nothing wrong with farm all tractors, absolutely nothing. And the design of their distributor is not bad. It was the, execu- the execution. Uh, a farm all distributor is almost always bent. And the pins that hold the weights in place. So you've got, you know, your weights are supposed to move in and move out to adjust your timing, and that's a precise thing. So those weights and pins and springs have to be precisely manufactured. I've never, ever, not one time, disassembled and converted a farmall where the pins weren't loose. So they took these small diameter pins, smaller than everybody else used, and they pressed them onto a plate. Well, guess what? These are 1940s distributors. The pins have come loose. So the weights don't go in and out like they're supposed to. I've seen a lot of them. I probably had six of them where either the pin was broken off or in some cases completely missing. I couldn't find it in the bottom of the distributor. And I've had some that were dragging the weight around the outside of the distributor and there was a nice groove, you know, where the weight was. So, I'm not, you know, I throw that out as an example because, again, when we're talking about precision, um, yeah, throwing a mag out there and saying, hey, I can produce 80,000 volts of power. That's awesome. But let me make it really simple for anybody who doesn't like electronics. A coil is just like a water tower. So when you have a small town of 50 people, you build a water tower that will handle the, the capacity of those 50 people in the morning when everybody is taking a shower and getting ready for work or, you know, in the midst of uh, halftime during a Lions game or Packers game on our side of the pond, you know, when your, when your water tower has more than enough water in it, then all of those people are happy. Uh, you're never going to run out. I mean, the goal is not to drain the water tower. It's to have enough water on reserve so that everybody gets water when they want it. A coil is exactly the same way. So when you're just sitting there idling along, ready to make your hook, it you could run that thing on a 10,000-volt coil. It just doesn't matter. Any coil, even a lawnmower coil, would probably get the job done. But when you get to the end of the track, 
What people don't understand is that the higher the load, the higher it is, or the, the, the harder it is, I should say, for the spark to jump the gap on the spark plug. So the coil, although it isn't working very hard at idle or in the beginning of a pull, by the end of the pull, you may run into a situation where the water tower all of a sudden isn't big enough. So, you know, if a coil can generate 40,000 volts, most of the time you might only need, again, 10, 15, 20 um, uh, hot coils. I, I'd laugh at the term hot coil, but if, if you, you know, look in magazines and, and certain outlets that say, hey, the newest, coolest, hottest, you know, coil, what does hot mean? Hot generally means what's the maximum amount of. I'm really boring you guys to death, probably. But oh the, no! <laughs> but but this is this is real. This is real. I think it's really important because I get asked this question all the time. This is this is the, uh, you know half of my conversations in life are well. I want a hot coil. What do you have? And and again, when you say hot, you're talking about the maximum capacity for voltage production. You're gonna put 12 volts in or 14 or 16 or 600 if it's an MSD, whatever you do, you're gonna put voltage in and even more voltage is gonna come out the other end. Um, and again, a, hot, a coil only has to manufacture enough spark so that under the most severe load or the highest RPM, the coil still has enough energy to jump the gap. If it can't, it misfires. If it does, it jumps. It's that simple. You're just trying to have a coil, and that's why someone who puts on a hot coil on a stock tractor is really wasting their money because a stock tractor is never going to run out of spark, even with a really stupid old crusty Delco coil that you found in your grandpa's barn. It's, it was designed for that engine, and it has more than enough energy to get the job done. What you should be paying more attention to is efficiency of a coil. If you could produce 40,000 volts and, it, and it, um, when you shut the coil off, it bleeds out slowly um, versus getting all 40,000 all at the same time, that's the difference between me tapping you on the shoulder to get your attention or me whacking you upside the head with a baseball bat. And, and nobody talks about that in the tractor world. We talk about it in motorcycles because I don't know why. Um, it's more important, uh, maybe because motorcycle coils are so small, we have more issues with coil problems than tractor people do. But you, nobody talks about efficiency. And in coils, efficiency and precision is more important than gross voltage in most cases. I mean, again, the guy with the quad turbo, you know, whatever, okay, we can have another conversation. I, there are places where dual mags, are used, but at no at no volunteer fire department tractor pull in this area, I promise you, nobody is using a, a super hot mag, a Mallory or an MSD or something. Everybody is using really automotive parts um, to make it happen. But the problem is they're not precise. Points are more precise than the electronic conversion kits. So, like I said, we wanted another option, and this ignition. Got the job done for me in the motorcycle world, and now we're getting the job done in the tractor world. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people, you know, we have, it is what it is. You know, like I said, I think most of the people that have come after us are probably just scared of the technology or don't understand it, and it's a unique system. But so basically, for the people who don't understand it, is it's an ignition system similar to what you would find 
in a car made basically in what the past 20 years, a coil pack style ignition system. Yes, absolutely. It's motorcycles have been using coil packs since the 1950s. Cars started to use coil packs when they got away from actual distributors and they started to use crank triggers. So yeah, you'll have one coil that fires either one cylinder or two cylinder and it makes a loop. So let's just say that on my Alice puller, um, I've got a WC, and so it's a four-cylinder, and I have two coils. One coil runs one and four since they're up at the same time, and the other one runs two and three since they're up at the same time. And the electricity actually goes down one spark plug wire, jumps a gap, hopefully, runs through the engine and jumps the other gap the opposite direction and returns to the coil. It makes a loop. And, and I'm amazed at how many people, and I didn't, I can't say that I really know, knew how that worked either, but that is exactly how a wasted spark system works. So yeah, you're you're using multiple coils instead of one. You don't have to worry about it arcing on the cap. You don't have to worry about it jumping the gap where the rotor and the cap are, and then jumping another gap for the spark plug. It's just when the coil is ready to be turned on, the ignition says turn on, and then when it's ready to turn off, it says turn off. And in our case, we spark three times. So it says on, off, on, off, on, off, and you can change all three sparks. So it's just it's just counting is what it is. It's the world's coolest counting system. And right there you brought up something I think a lot of pullers wouldn't fully understand the concept is a multiple spark during the power stroke of a cylinder is, you know, the idea is, well, it's sparked once, I got fire in there, so everything burned. No, being able to pulse that spark, you'll get a more complete burn. That ignition, initial ignition isn't always going to be enough to get a complete burn on that system and get all the power you want. Being able to pulse that spark going in through that, you know, going through that spark plug during that burn, atmospheric conditions are changing as the fuel air mixture is being burned. You're not going to get a complete burn, but by being able to use that, you're going to get more power. You're going to get a lot less fumes coming out, you know, wasted raw fuel yeah. that, you know, let's face you're it. Really, when you start running really race gas, sp- that's expensive, expensive fumes coming out of your exhaust. You, you really are describing efficiency, right? And, and that's not something that someone brags about. You don't, <clears throat> you don't show up in your sleeveless shirt with your, you know, your favorite tattoo showing and and you've got your nice farmer's tan going and you just talk about how you're just going to stomp everyone because you're more efficient. You'd be kind of laughed out of the pits, right? It's it's all about who's got the biggest cubes, uh, who's got the shiniest rims, who's got the, the biggest, baddest stroker motor, and then no one discusses efficiency. And you are correct. I had I had a discussion on Facebook um, and it was quite interesting. And it was about whether it was important to even have multiple spark or not. So people that have been pulling but have zero experience in electronics, as someone who is a, uh, has been, I won't, I'm not mentioning names, but there is someone who I. Oh, you can name on. drop on this. You can well, name well, drop I, on this. We've well, got like three listeners, so. Yeah, three listeners. Hi, Mom. No, she gave up about four years ago listening to us. <laughs> yeah. see, see, honey, I'm not at the bar. Um, now the, the, the discussion or the comment that was made was that one good spark should be enough to get it done. That was the statement. And that was, for me, it was like, there's 50 statements on this post. 
that was the one thing that stuck out in my mind. Because if you know anyone in aviation, you know that they have a redundant ignition system so that if one fails, the plane still flies. One of the things that you do during a, a pre-flight check. So, what, what, so when you're in your little Cessna and you're ready to take off, you're going to turn off one of the magnetos on purpose, and you're going to make sure that the other mag is running, and there should be an RPM drop, and there is. There always is, yeah. And you turn the mag back on, and the RPM goes up. And when, then when you check the other mag, when you turn it off, the RPM drops down again. So I'm not a pilot, but I have a ton of friends in the aviation industry, and of course we're right next to EAA and, EAA and Oshkosh, the Experimental Aircraft Association. So I, I know planes enough to to know if if sparking something from two different locations or sparking it and then sparking it again to sort of clean up business is really just a joke, then why is it required on an aircraft and why is there an RPM change when you do it? Uh, we see on motorcycles, again, just going back to bikes because they're we, we deal with mostly stock bikes or mildly modified bikes. We're in the tractor world. They're all crazy. Um, <laughs> when you when you put this ignition on a 1,000 gold wing, right, it's just your four-cylinder basic 1975 bike. When you put the ignition on, you almost always see an increase in RPM by about 300 RPM at idle. Never, never less than 200, generally never more than three. And I used to get calls all the time with people. I put in your ignition, and everything works good. It started right up and ran. Man, it started up like it never did before. But I've got a problem because it's idling at like 1,300 RPM. Um, why is that? And um, the answer really is that you were dumping a lot of that fuel right out the exhaust, not being burned. Because a Goldwing engine is designed to run sweet between, let's say, five and 7,000 RPM. It is not designed to run at 1,000 RPM. And so it dumps a lot of the fuel out the exhaust. Um, and if you're not expanding it, you're not burning, and you're not pushing the piston down, then you're really wasting all that fuel, and that's efficiency. So again, when you light it one, two, three, four, five times, I don't know, MSD multi-sparks many times, but then we, we go with three sparks that are long sparks, inductive sparks, meaning on the stopwatch, each spark lasts longer. So it's not about necessarily the gap you run. It's just, um, like I said, what you want to do, again, I always I use, non, I use non-power sports examples sometimes because it's easier. We've all stood um, in a swimming pool and then tried to run to the other side. And, of course, you're pushing a wave in front of you. You can only run so fast, right, because you, can, you can't move the water out of the way very fast. But as you're running across the swimming pool, <clears throat> There's a wave in front of you. Um, and then I ask people, when you get to the other side of the pool, is there a great big hole where you just ran? And they laugh. And, well, of course not. I said, well, what, what's, what's behind you? And they said, well, water. Why is that? Well, because when you run through the water, your, your wave in front of you is pushing water out of the way, and it's circulating around you and going back and filling the hole where you just stood. The same thing happens in a cylinder. When you spark... I mean, when a spark plug makes a spark, a kernel, we call it, when the kernel starts to expand and it's burning all this air, that is one violent chamber. You've got an excess of 2,000 degrees of heat. You've got wild, expanding, a highly compressed, volatile fuel vapor. 
and and it's just on the verge of an explosion, which would be detonation. So as this flame's going out and just knocking down everything in its path, it's pushing a wave in front of it. And unburned fuel is swirling around and getting behind that wave and going back to the spark plug where there isn't any violent activity. So when you're done, this pressure wave hits the cylinder walls and the heads and the piston top. And uh, and I've read that it's about usually between 20 and 40 thousandths of an inch thick, this this transition area. So the wave hits the cylinder wall just before the flame does. The, the, it turns around and puts the flame out. And, and that's why you can have a 200-degree engine temperature with a 2,200-degree internal core temperature. Why doesn't your engine run at 2,000 degrees? Because that 2,000-degree flame never gets to the wall. You know, the pressure wave always knocks it out. So, again... Think about a swimming pool. You're running across the pool. You're pushing the wave. It's filling in water behind you. All the water that swirls around and gets behind you is unburned gasoline. Why doesn't anyone ever try to spark it again? Because it's hard to do. It's very difficult under compression, especially a tractor, to be able to make any coil spark twice. And it has to do it so fast, a coil takes time to fill back up again. So we start with coils that are rated between 80 and 150,000 volts. Do we run them that hot? Of course we don't. It isn't necessary. That's where I say you don't need power, you need precision. You need enough volts to get the job done. No more. Keeps keeps things cool and, and uh, it keeps it reliable. And so it anyway, becomes... like I said, that's, that's, that's my, my analogy, my swimming pool. It, it's easier for people to understand that when you get through your first spark, there's a whole bunch of unburned fuel still in that engine. And you have to try to just light more of it. And the more horsepower. The more exotic the fuel, the more unburned that there is because the chemists are constantly trying to slow that reaction down. You step up to methanol, it's a it's a real slow burner, so you got a lot left behind. Sort of fighting each other, aren't they? Yeah. The the guy concerned about detonation, he wants to put fuel in there that burns so slow you need a calendar to watch it. And and the guy that really, the guy that wants to produce maximum power, who doesn't care about detonation, he wants to light the fire at TDC. In a perfect world, you could find a fuel that was stable enough to ignite exactly at top dead center. Because your maximum cylinder pressure is what? Depending on the engine, let's say 10 to 14 degrees after top dead center. You want the maximum amount of push right there, you know, huffing down on that on that piston when the when the pin on the on the crank gets beyond top dead center. So it's just like a pry bar. Get it in the right spot and start hanging on it and hopefully, you know, things move. That's all an engine is anyways. So if you could ignite the fuel at exactly top dead center, instead of 40 degrees before top dead center, think of how wonderful it would be. Because when you light the fire at 40 before, you're already burning and expanding fuel, and that expanding fuel is trying to slow the piston down. Well, the piston is trying to just make it to the top. And what have you done? You lit a huge fire that says, "Uh uh-uh, not letting that piston get to the top. So we talk out of both sides of our mouth, right? We brag about the fact that we can run more timing than any other ignition because we're so precise. We have less detonation, so we can push the envelope. But that comes from precision. But really, 
you really want to run fuel that requires as little timing as possible because that means that most of the expansion happens when the piston's going down where you can actually use it. It's kind of a weird thing. I mean, you're fighting each other. Slow-burning fuel because then it doesn't detonate. Yeah, but that doesn't build as much power. So then let's add a hot spark plug because it doesn't burn very well and it follows plugs. So we'll put in a really hot heat range. Well, guess what? Now that that spark plug's a glow plug. And that creates more detonation. So then you go with even slower burning fuel. And then it doesn't burn. It burns even worse. So you put an even hotter spark plug in there with a huge gap. And then you retard the timing to save detonation. But that makes the exhaust valve hot because it's still burning on its way out instead of in the chamber. It's just a death spiral uh, is what it is. So what we've tried to do is go backwards. Go to the freezing cold spark plug. Give it as much timing as we can to keep the exhaust manifold cool, keep the exhaust valve cool, to burn to burn your fuel, whatever fuel it is, at the appropriate time, and to burn as much as we humanly can do. That's the goal. Pretty simple. You spend a bunch of money trying to push fuel into the engine. Our job is to burn as much of it as we can before it gets out the exhaust. Seems simple. I'm kind of boring. How many times? How many times have you answered a phone call and wanted to reach through the phone and choke the living shit out of the person on the other end of it because they got caught with an adjustable cam gear and forgot about resetting the timing? Uh, luckily, because I don't do engine building, it does come up in conversation. But I'm—I will admit that I am not God's gift to engine building. Not when it comes to that. I've done. Tons and tons of motorcycles, but I we don't use adjustable timing gears on bikes usually. Um, but I, what, I, what I do even more is I get people that tell me that the fuel they're using is the fuel they have to use, and there's no way that you can come up with a timing map that will keep it from detonating, and that's not true. But you can't get into a pissing match. You're just not. You're not going to win. The person's going to think you're a dick, and you're not going to sell them anything. And and in the end, this, you know, well, they'll drag you down and beat you with experience at that point. <laughs> this, this is my career. <laughs> so, oh, what do you know? I, you just build this. You don't know anything about the science behind it. Well, you know, you mentioned. You said we could mention names. I'm going to mention. Oh, absolutely. Tom Heart. Oh, gonna, that no. Oh no. Yep. Drop them right now. We don't mention that asshole. <laughs> Tom Eisenhart? <laughs> okay. Some guy who's building a light Black? limited super and has a big cubic inch M. That Tom Eisenhart? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about Josh Blackburn? He's a little closer to probably where you guys are. Yes, he Josh is. Josh is pretty quiet, though. I, I got And he did make one hell of a meme. Jeez. Josh, Josh doesn't have to say a lot. His tractors scream bloody murder. Jesus. The reason yeah. Josh doesn't say anything is because he can't hear anything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, the last time that I was in Michigan... Not not at the Oakley Pole, but at the the last time I was actually at Josh's shop helping him, and we went over to his uncle Tom Chapman's farm, and we were we were trying to get rid of a reversion problem with the air fuel meter. Josh couldn't get it to read. I've had some other people have the same issues, so we just decided that we were going to spend the day trying to figure out how we could get this air fuel meter to read. So we're running. Tom Chapman's fire breathing G inside his garage, which is a very low ceiling. And I already have a very bad hearing. But at the end of the day, I think it took hours before my ears didn't ring. I mean, running yeah. Tom's tractor from idle to wide open inside of a ceiling that's just tall enough to clear his exhaust pipe 
probably not the smartest thing Josh and I have ever done. <laughs> no, and Tom's is, Tom's is right there as far as one of the loudest. I don't know what it, it is, but God, does that thing crack? It's like listening to Brian Rammels, and I was over at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, Brian <laughs> Brian Rammel, uh actually got an award last year at our indoor antique pool, NATPA poll, the Great Lakes Classic. Um, which reminds me, I'm going to have to make it for Mason now. Um, I had a beautiful muffler for, uh, Brian Ramel as the loudest John Deere at the event. It was reserved for Kent Huey with his A. But Kent didn't show up. But Kent didn't show up, but now Kent does have a muffler on his. So I think he took a little bit (laughs) off our custom designed high efficiency John Deere muffler that I made. Held together with chicken know. wire and why don't, why don't, electrical tape. And... Yeah. Why don't they just take the exhaust and loop it around and stick it in a bucket of water? At least it would, you know, it would knock some of those decibels. I mean, Brian's tractor is so impressive to listen to, and I and I enjoy watching him and his dad. I it, when I went to the toughest G competition earlier this year at Greenville, uh, Illinois, it, it was um, really a, an honor to be there and see there were what forty eight tractors G's in that pull and we did have some of our ignitions on my kitchens came all the way from delaware uh to compete he finished sixth um there are some mind-blowing high performance john deers there and we you know the john deere john deere and the rest of the tractor pulling is kind of funny because it's like in the motorcycle world harley davidson and everybody else if somebody with a car comes up and says motorcycles are stupid you're all pounding on the guy uh but when you're in your own circle of motorcycle people it's harley davidson and everybody else not always but almost always and and i i really just found this tremendously humorous when i got into tractors that john deere is harley davidson yeah in a sense that that, you know if someone says well tractor pulling is a complete waste of money it's just stupid and it's just senseless and whatever you know we'll all just go to bat and say wait a minute you don't understand this is a chess game this is just ridiculous strategy and weights and tire pressure and, and, and timing and carburation. You don't have a clue what it's about. You know, we all write the hair in the... My biggest thing is Bridge up. Club, they didn't drink enough alcohol for me to stay interested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to play chess, so, I, you know, the checkers were okay. Um, so, yeah, I just I find yeah. it humorous that everybody, everybody loves to rip on John Deere. But if somebody rips on the tractor, everybody's there to defend it. So yeah, no. Funny. Don't make fun of tractor pulling, except for that guy. He's got a John Deere. Fuck that guy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I love all tractors, well, except the green ones, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I have no problem with Oliver. I think they made a great product. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the hardest part for me, figuring out which tractor I was going to build my first pulling machine out of, because no matter what I built, I was going to offend 95% of our other customers. But the reason I chose... <laughs> I chose an Alice Chalmers for two reasons. First of all, because my great uncle. Wisconsin. Uh, well, <laughs> a little, a little bit of that only because my my dad was raised by uh, my great aunt and uncle, and my great uncle worked for Alice Chalmers. So that there was a little bit extra family pride in that. Now he didn't work on the tractors; he worked on uh, their industrial division. But he was an Alice Chalmers employee, and so I was like, mm, you know what? If I don't really care what I build. That's kind of cool. We have a little family connection to Alice, and it's a Wisconsin company. 
and in the end, I got a smoking deal on one that was sitting in a barn forever and ever and ever. Let's and, be honest, uh, that's the real reason. It was an opportunity. So, yeah, um, now I have three of them. So I have a WC, a WD, and a WD-45. So, and we're testing our prototype coil on one of our tractors. I don't care. Like I said, I, well, I'm going to build a six-cylinder next, and it's not going to be an Alice. I don't know what it's going to be. It's just going to be a different brand. And uh, at some point in time, I like to put a supercharger on one. And I'm not sure which engine would be best for that, but again, probably will end up being a third brand. Just so actually, I, I know of a red tractor that resides in a barn that had a supercharger on it that's now off of it. Interesting. I've got friends with turbo tractors. Remember that um, bracket that came off that 460? Oh yes, that's right. That was a supercharger on there. Yeah, I do remember that. The 460 that I own was supercharged. Really? Yep. What what was it? Was it a small automotive supercharger? Uh pro similar to a pro charger setup, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think there's enough um there's enough GM cars that were supercharged or there's other ones I mean Ford did too, but I think it's probably easier to, to buy a GM there were probably more of them. Uh, we, it's more reliable. It. My, my friend Sean has a turbo, yeah. My friend Sean is a turbo on his Oliver, and, and I've got another friend that has a, the guy I got my tractor from, he's got a turbo on, a, on an Alice WD right now. So there's there's a few. I don't, I'm not sure that it's an advantage. Um, in our C5 pulling class, there's no rules on exhaust or intake. We encourage wild experimentation, and that's what all these guys are building them for, for our class. So I thought, well, at some point in time, maybe I'll throw a supercharger on there and see if I can go out and bend parts just like they do. Yeah, there you go. So, I don't know that you're going to pull any better with one. I really don't. I don't know enough about tractor pulling. To, I haven't seen turbo tractors around here to be that big of an advantage. A lot of times they just spin out, and that's it. I, I think having controllable horsepower seems to be um, the thing you want to chase. Where you can get out of the throttle and back into the throttle without having the wheel stands and all the hiccups and you know, the, the Jody Barber, I'll pick on I pick on Jody because it's always fun to watch him. <laughs> oh, pull. Jody's always come, a good one he, to pick on. He comes out of the hole, and you just think that tractor is a is a bull, and Jody's been let out of the gate, and for some reason the tractor just can't go any direction but forwards. And then when it finally settles down, it just rips out a pass that you just you can't even blink because you don't want to miss any of the good part. And then at the end, it goes back to that cantankerous horse that you just can't break. Um, I love watching, and he does have our ignition on one of his tractors. I love watching Jody, but I would not want to sit on the seat of some of his tractors. The Iowa oh, State. Fair I would in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he was going to fall. I thought he was going to fall off that thing at the Iowa State Fairs. That that thing was. You've never was been like, behind the seat of a C three hundred one where the RPMs are not limited. It is a beautiful thing. <laughs> I no, I, I yeah, I need to. Um, I've ridden some of the meanest motorcycles in the world, but I, when it comes to tractors, I think I'll go up in baby steps. <laughs> My dad and I pulled, I pulled for years. Charles remembers it. A C301 powered 656. Literally, you pulled the trigger at five grand on a stock bottom end. No kidding. Oh, yeah. You can spin them through that, that series motor. You can spin them as tight as you want on stock bottom end. They'll take a lot of abuse. Until you, until you forced induction, you know, put forced induction on them. But you know, if you keep them in a, they'll just wind to the moon and hold together. Oh yeah, huh. and they sound like a small block when you do that. And 
Jody's tractors, they're only spinning 30, 30% over. Yeah, they're limited. <laughs> Don't they sound, they sound just meaner maybe than they are internally, but um, I went down to Missouri. <laughs> it's because his are huge. Pulled. Yeah, they're hu- uh, well, huge pull, by large I displacement. <laughs> I got to pull this, what he calls his farm tractor. Uh, we met them down in Almeyers, who also, Mark and Stephen, who pull NATPA, down in Missouri. Never met Stephen. Stephen's <laughs> oh, awesome. Mark, I mean, like them both. Don't say and that. We His were, head we swells were... too quick as it is. He might be listening. <laughs> we, we went down there because it was sort of a, it was a common area where Jody and Allison could, could meet, you know, uh, Stephen and Mark and myself. So we all drove a long distance, but we met at the county fair. And we were doing some some tuning. That was when I first got my air fuel meter. And uh, Allison didn't have her um, her tractor, and so she didn't like she didn't want to pull that farm tractor. So Jody put me in one class and Stephen in another. I actually took second place at the at the fair. And I was excited. Jody, the coolest thing ever. And that's why no matter what Jody ever says or or does, I, I will always be friends with him. Is that he let me keep the trophy. Which to him was no big deal. He's like, I got so many trophies, I mean, we don't care. But to me, that was a big deal because that was the first trophy I ever won pulling a tractor. And you know, I just drove it. You know, it was no big deal. It was no skill on my part. But um, but he let me keep the trophy, and I, and it's still in our living room. It's right next to the TV. And I know if he was listening, he'd be laughing. But it's the coolest. Oh, they the coolest will be listening to the show. The Allison, the barber, Allison tunes in. Yep. Hello, Allison. It, it, it was really, to this day, the coolest trophy that I owned. And uh, and we learned a lot, actually, that weekend. But that was the first time I was ever on. No. You know, it was a four, 460, I believe. I love Jody's 460s. I really do. And I'm an age guy. Charles can attest to that. It, my family bleeds red. But the sexiest, most beautiful tractor they have, Allison's 44. Yeah, chosen one is a nice looking tractor. Oh my agree. god, I would agree. Yep, and I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, at Actually, the I've got parts from uh, Sigourney up on the shelf from. Oh, I, was, I wasn't there uh, <laughs> when the yeah, when the carnage happened. But, oh, um, it was not that pretty. Is, that that is, was that was a rough time to get that one out. Yeah, yeah. I talked. I talked to. Uh, talk to them a little bit about it at Iowa and, and again try not to bring I said I don't want to bring up a bad subject but you know is it okay and you know is it going to be repaired yeah yeah no you know no worries but you kind of it's like asking about someone's dog dying it's like I hate to bring it up but are you okay you know he's like oh yeah yeah we're, you know we'll get her dialed but it's just a you know a bad I haven't seen too much carnage I'm friends with Mike Nolan who had the, you know, the John Deere that broke in half it probably to this day has more comments on it than anything on Facebook and um but I, you know, again, I didn't see it in person. Um, we, we've got there's another guy, um, Hugh. I want to say Hugh, last name or first name. He, we met him in Pennsylvania a few weeks ago, and it's an Oliver with a pipe that's got the longest exhaust of any tractor in the pulling circuit. Super high RPM. Can't remember his name. Bill. Anyway. Um, Wicked, wicked tractor. Like I said, really long intake, really long exhaust. Going for that third pulse wave effect. <laughs> <laughs> it, mathematically, it is the only tractor that I've seen that actually has correct parts on it. But uh, you know, if you're if you're figuring out um, RPM that you're running and how long your primary tube should be and that <laughs> kind of stuff, you know, again, more nerd stuff. Is that 
tractors, tractor guys do it all wrong, and uh, I try to stay out of those arguments. You, you build your tractor any way you want to, as long as it has our ignition, I'm happy. But he's, he really, he didn't even build that tractor, but that tractor is built the right way, and uh, it's, it's really neat. And it sounds ridiculous. He said, you know, you're going to want to watch me going out on this thing because it sounds like I'm turning, you know, 10,000 RPM, and it does. He wasn't turning high, but... Uh, It'd be really, really hard to miss that pull. You could probably, you probably could have heard that tractor a mile away. So it wasn't like Brian's G. It's different. It was a high-pitched howl, where Brian's is just moves buildings. You know, um, that's neat. Sound has a lot to do with the appeal of pulling, right? What what engine did it have in it? I'm getting curious. It's a tractor. It's a tractor engine. It's not a. It's not an automotive engine. I don't remember what the. I'm not even sure that he told me what it all has in it. It was, um, he pulled the side panels off and showed me stuff that probably a lot of people have never seen, but we were talking about ignitions in particular. And, uh, again, our Did it have an electromotive on it? No. No, it did not. There goes that thought. Okay. I was going to say, we, we probably know who, if it did, we would, we know, not only do we know who built it, the day it was publicly unveiled, we were there. Yeah. We got a but great friend and actually sponsor of the show, Ed Schubridge, uh, owner of uh, former ENS Motorsports, but still a Sempico dealer, who sponsors our show. Uh, very, very knowledgeable in the naturally aspirated world with engines. And uh, we'll have to post some pictures of uh, the last beast that rolled out of his shop, which was a Waukesha. What was it, 283 to start with? Uh, yeah. Punched out pretty good, uh, running uh, fuel-injected alcohol, and uh, literally had a runner-style intake and a uh, full proper tomb port header coming off the side of it. I mean, a lot of time and energy that went in that motor, and I mean... I I'll, I know the horsepower numbers are not able to be public, but it is considerably more than any other Oliver without artificial aspiration on it has ever hit. It, it seems to me looking at it just maybe sometimes I have an advantage not having... I mean, I grew up on a farm, not having been in the pulling world for the last 20 years. I look at things with fresh eyes. You know, I'm not I'm not prejudiced towards anything because a lot of it I, I don't. If I'm looking at something special, a lot of times I don't even know it until afterwards. Someone will say, hey, you saw that part? Yeah, that part's like one of three in the world. That's really cool. But anyway, it, um, it just seemed like there are some, there are some tractors that the engine was thought through the final drive. You know, they tell you about the build. Everything to a T was done, and then sometimes the final push, and it happens on street rods. It's, we've all got car guys. You know, it's like the car is got all sheet metal, no bondo. It's all everything is top notch, and they get done, and they throw in uh, Honda Civic seats and, uh, and a, a Craco radio, and uh, they don't put the headliner in, and it never gets done. And so the car, at 95%, comes grinding into either I'm sick of working on this or I'm sick of throwing money at it. <clears throat> and so it seems like carburation and ignition and exhaust 
are the three things, in my opinion. You're just like, well, this is sitting on the shelf. I don't know what it's from, but if I put it on the lathe and I turn it down, this will work here, and I'll just throw this on. I'll just throw a big chrome stack on it, and it's done. Ta-da! My tractor's finished. Check out my Tim Yates rims. <laughs> you know, or or I got to throw a plug in my my Kelly Baldwin, uh, you know, wheelie bars or you know whatever. But oh no, that's uh, he's a front end guy. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. Well, I know, but his Tim's one who likes Harris, the asses. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly was at Harris Harrisburg uh, pull, and he uh, and I told him, hey, come on in and just set up on our. You know, we had a big enough booth for for him also. And, uh, yeah, his wheelie bars are, are awesome. Um, I don't have his lightweight front end because I'm going to go with a wide front probably on mine. But no, they're just, you know, like I said, I'm not, not picking on anyone in particular. We're all guilty, as am I. But you, like I said, you fret over what pistons. You fret over your cam grind. You fret over everything. And then when you're done, you know, what, what's the biggest carburetor we got on the shelf, Larry? No, oh, wow, this one here came off of a Goodyear blimp. Ah, let's throw that on there, you know. And then, <laughs> and then they're like, well, geez, it doesn't idle very good. Well, yeah, no shit. It's got four-inch bore on it, you know, but it's okay. It's okay. It's free. It's big, so all your friends will be impressed. Won't run good. <laughs> Injection for the win, buddy. Injection for the win. We were having conversation about why you should inject a tractor over carburation. You know, as you said something about injection. I've been talking to a light... A lot of uh, more um, light limited super stock people lately for some reason, and, and fuel injection came up. What, what is? I'll throw a question back at you. Why would you go with fuel injection over over carburation? Fact of the matter is, um, actually, I guess there's really no rules on carburation for the class. Why not multi carb? A carburetor is proven to um, I might not be using the right technical terms, but to to provide a better mixture. Um, fuel injection, you could argue, is more precise in the metering of the fuel, but it is not generally considered to be superior in creating a perfect vapor. So I'm just asking. I mean, no, I think I think a lot of it stems from cylinder equalization issues um, by running running carbs. You tend to get they do. Ed found it actually even that's why he made the switch on the natural tractors to injection was he was getting uh, the fuel separating back out uh, from the air and getting dead holes. Yeah. Is that from an in? Is that from a? Again, it's hard to keep this conversation from turning nerdy. But no, nerdy's okay. Down, doesn't doesn't that come down to um, having incorrect diameter or shape of your intake tract? Um, because when you when you mix, let's say that you get a good vapor, and then at some point you have a mistake in the engine, which all, no engine is perfect. So you have a spot where, let's say, it widens back out or the, the signal slows and it starts to separate. You can, there are things you can do to get it to remix, but it's never, it's never the preferred way to do it. Once it mixes, it needs to stay mixed. Again, I'm just told this by some engine builders that are way smarter than me. Uh, shout out to Lawrence Wilson, who that's not where it came from, but uh, Lawrence's um, 
has taught me more probably in the last year than I've learned in the last 10 years in the motorcycle world. And he's very patient with answering my dumb questions, not encouraging people to call him and ask him questions, but he has been amazingly patient answering my questions and sharing information. Um, he's helped me with some customers and he has so much information that is accurate, but unpopular in the pulling world. I'll just put it that way that um, I have so many friends in the industry, motorcycle or automotive, that are at the highest level. You know, the guy locked in the lab that you never get to meet, those guys. Uh, I have quite a few friends that are, you know, top clearance at automotive design companies and things like that. And the things that come out of Lawrence's mouth sometimes are the things he types. You're just blown away. It's like, yeah, yeah, I had that theory, but what about this? And he's not afraid to share you know, ideas, but I said, it it almost, I don't want to say he thinks outside the box. He thinks about things from a scientific perspective as I try to, and it doesn't matter whether it's a popular conversation or not, you know, hot spark plug builds more power, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. But people look at me like, did you just say that? I can't believe you just said it. He just said that a, that a colder plug is, is better. Like I just said that your mom is fat, you know, that's, but but it's the truth. So the biggest thing, you know, not only like what Charles is saying with the dead holes, is the other thing is carburation under boost has been an issue for a lot of people involved in the sport with pulling on a blow-through design carburetor. And we have this a lot with the light-limited or light-limited pro-stock class over in Canada where they're trying to utilize carburation still. And, you know, when it comes to sport of pulling, even where they do allow, say, a Holly or Edelbrock style carburetor, is there's still so many flat spots in there because there's just not enough metering. And I gotcha. that's, that's where they've been running into issues. We've got a guy who yeah. is very, very good at tuning race gas under boost. And he tried for a long time tried and tried and tried and tried and he kept he got to the point where he goes we i can't do it and i who where did he go he went kinsley kinsler he, he went, went kinsler uh fuel injection and that's when he finally found some saving graces whereas now he's building horsepower is he was able to go to a pressure uh triggered injection setup where until that that barrel valve actually senses a proper pressure going into the manifold. That fuel isn't going in there, which is something with the carburetor, you know. You don't have that tuning window that's you wide enough. That. Yep. Yeah. Because even, so you, you know, you got your idle circuit. Let's say if you lock out, you have a mid-range circuit actually in this carburetor. Then you got your high idle circuit. Yes, you're not getting full fuel out of all them other than the idle but you're still actually getting fuel coming in, which that is going to be varying, you know, how much, you know, you're not going to get a precise fuel delivery into that engine and not having a precise fuel and fuel delivery is just like, you know, only firing a spark plug once you're losing that efficiency and efficiency. Contrary to popular belief of some people, efficiency does build horsepower. That's why you're seeing four cylinder engines out there. Put you know four six V sixes look V six Camaro making three hundred and some odd horsepower, you know 
it's a very efficient motor, but by using that efficiency, they're able to build horsepower. That's the key there and why fuel injection has come in. Yes, it's not a mechanical injection similar. It is a constant feed setup, but by using pressures to trigger when them injectors come on, you're able to achieve a much higher um, efficiency. Now, I like mine, I'm talk, I'm doing a three three stage injection system on it. Could I get more by going four or five stages? Absolutely. But where do you say, well, listen, I got too many nozzles sticking in there. I'm actually not getting any air to my cylinders. Well, that, that's, um, I mean, you, that's an awesome answer. I don't know how you can follow up after that. That's uh, <laughs> because you're, you're having the same conversation on the fuel side of things that I do on the ignition side of things, right? You first, before you worry about spark, you have to worry about how to get it in the cylinder. And it's, and it's got to be, it should be as repeatable as possible and as controlled as possible. So, yeah, just throwing on a big, you know, a pair of Dominator carburetors. Okay, guess what? I can flow more fuel than the engine can handle. But is it done at a manageable amount? And so you're talking about efficiency Meaning that if your air fuel ratio is bouncing all over the place, if you're not near stoichiometric, you're screwed. Forget ignition, right? You can't you can't come up with an ignition map that works if your fuel is all over the place. So that's and that your, that's your... been the biggest thing with car carburetors, and I I know where you were talking about it with it from coming from a motorcycle on where you know you've got your carburetor tuned to that particular cylinder. It Correct. it would be great to be able to do that. But you got a carburetor feeding two cylinders. Okay, you got a manifold that's going to be diverting that fuel. So you get that even flow across it. Now. Yeah, that's. Well, my WC will have dual carburetors, or that is the plan right now. Now, the question is I'm going to pose to you now is with it. And Uh is. Okay, like we talked before, like I, I was talking with you the other day. When we were going through talking about stuff for my light limited, you're going to have two carburetors on it because you have a Siamese port head. And for those of you who don't follow that, two two cylinders share one port in the head. Now, are you going to give a, so to speak, length of runner from that carburetor from that head to try to help compensate for that and give some air volume in there? To keep it a proper mixture, you know, keep from, hopefully keep some fuel air in there so you're not leaning one cylinder out or are you going to bolt it right to the head? No, uh, not going to bolt it to the head. The reason, the first reason I'm not going to is because if you, there's a few websites on the internet that have some really fantastic formulas for this type of thing. And what I did was I took the size of my engine, realizing that one port is only feeding, let's say I have a, a, well, it's going to be around a 260 cube, but let's just say it's going to be a 200 cube, just to keep it easy, a stock WC, 201. So you have one port for the rear cylinders, one port for the front. So you cut the engine in half, right? Because each port only feeds 100 cubes. Now, one piston is sucking in, the other one's not. So you're really only dealing with 50 cubic inches at a time. Correct. And, and so if I have a, a Makuni carburetor that's a 30 millimeter, it can flow a certain amount of fuel. And so if you do the math on the RPM that I can run, and in our class I can run around 2,400 RPM max, 
and I want this tractor to run really strong from, let's say, from 24 down to 2,000. Um, 18 maybe I, I don't know what the how wide a range we can get it to really pull but let's just say that we don't really want to get below 2000 we want to keep it keep it up there as high as we can so if you just do the math and you try to calculate at that rpm and that amount of um, cylinder that you're feeding um, how how big should your intake be and how long your runner should be you just punch in the numbers and um, and it calculates and it tells you how long it should be Oh. Now, there was some discussion, two unique things. One is uh, do you tie the two intakes together and have a crossover tube? And the they other all thing pressures is, across, yeah. You, right, and on two-stroke, two-cylinder two-strokes, they use a boost bottle. So what they do is they just have a, a common chamber. It can look like a can of beer. Uh, and then it's tied to both intakes. And so this is uh, sort of a, you know, when you slap the, the valve shut and you all you have all this, this pre-mixed uh, intake charge trying to get into the cylinder and all of a sudden the valve closes, where does it go? Well, it's almost got to turn around and go backwards, right? So does it go into the carburetor or does it go into this chamber? Um, and could that chamber be used to pre-charge for the other cylinder? So, again, I'm not an engine designer. Don't pretend to be. Some of the stuff is on the on the outer edge of what I understand. I think but it also has to depend on what the cam timing is and whether or not there's enough overlap for it to even matter. If it's just a perfectly divorced camshaft, none of it makes any difference because it's basically operating as four individual cylinders without any reference to another. Yeah, good point. Not only that, I mean, with what we're talking also, you know, something that comes from the NA world that we've learned is, you know, Okay, you're talking about this, but what's your velocity going in? You're 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 depending on this air compressor, which is what an engine is. Well, the people want to realize or not, all it is is a glorified sure. air compressor. Is how much air are you actually flowing into them cylinders? Yes, you have this much displacement in your engine, but that do, you know in that cylinder bore. But are you actually filling it? Yeah, yeah, and in a in a free. Free freedom from restrictive design intake rule, but a limited RPM. You're the longer the runner, generally the better for the torque. Correct. Have higher velocity it, into it. It's not something um, on a motorcycle. You try to generally to get the carburetor as close to the intake as possible, and they've they've canted engines in different positions to try to get to get that to happen. And then even going with, let's say, a flat slide carburetor, which it had been suggested to me that the, the real reason they came up with a flat slide instead of a round slide is um, because then the center line of the carburetor is even closer to the to the intake. That's good for certain things. And again, on a, on a race motorcycle, it hits 14,000 RPM. Yeah, that might be important. We're on a tractor that's at 2,000 RPM. Maybe that very thing that made your motorcycle fast is the very thing that's hurting your tractor from being able to lug down and keep going. Absolutely, and that's you know that's what we're saying here is you know you're in a race motorcycle situation. You first off with a motorcycle, you've got five six gears you can utilize, you know, to get off the line. You can have that low one to get that launch and keep working up through through the gears to get there. Best yep. case scenario for. Most pullers, one gear. Some of us, you know, who actually own a 
tractor that was made with a brand smart enough to actually put a half shift power <laughs> shift in it you know we we get to utilize a second gear more or less you know you need that low end at the start and the finish you know motorcycle you can drop down a gear if you're in a lugging situation but in racing you're really not the only time you're downshifting is say you're doing a circle course or something you know so that way you can just physically slow the vehicle down Yep. that you know yep. that's where yeah bolting it to the head would be, would be great you'll have all the top end you want but you've also just sacrificed all that bottom end torque that you absolutely need and that's something to look for in this sport is the, the sport of pulling horsepower is great but you add a mile an hour to it now it is a game of torque whether it's 10 mile 15 mile an hour or three mile an hour it's a game of torque i don't I think that a lot of people understand the concept of how load um, changes burn rate on fuel. You know, they think, well, I've got, um, I built um, an eight to one motor, and so I'm going to go ahead and, and run a certain amount of timing, and it works really good, and, and that's all that's all awesome. And you're going to run whatever fuel you want to run, but just because it's a calculated, you know, eight to one ratio. If you're running in a class that allows an incredible amount of weight to be added to that tractor during that pull, as that load comes up, that engine is becoming more and more and more efficient. So when when the expanding fuel is trying to push the piston down, and the weight of the sled and the tires being stuck to the ground say, uh-uh, it's not going to happen, your actual burn rate of the fuel goes crazy high. It's one reason why I'm not really a fan of super high compression tractors to start out with pulling. They're, they seem to be more finicky, uh, and they don't do very well sometimes when they lug way down. Now, again, I'm sure there are examples where I'm, what I just said is proven wrong, but in general, in the conversations I have uh, with antique tractors, is that sometimes a tractor that's at a mild compression um, can outpull a similar one that has higher compression. And... and and I'm not saying that you should put low compression engines together because they'll pull better. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when you're trying to determine how much fuel to feed it and you're trying to determine what your timing map should be, because I'm fortunate I don't have to deal with trying to remap a distributor using weights and springs. That's the fact that they still do it is humorous. Um, you know, that's like, well, you know, it's still using wooden spokes just because, it, it, yeah, I made it across the prairie, so wooden spokes must be it. We've arrived. There's no more technology. No more, don't use metal, don't use aluminum. Wood was fine for grandpappy, and so I'm going to use wood forever. But when you're talking about a map, what I try to do is to reduce timing in little steps to have it gently drop back down towards zero because the further you go in the track, the heavier the load gets. Now, like you said, on a motorcycle, downshift you're in a road racing car you're screaming down the track sixth gear guess what you get to the corner you're down in fourth you know why well because your speed is lower your load is higher now you're going to try to climb back up and you want to stay in your power band exactly because every engine is designed to operate at a certain rpm range for efficiency so the name of the game is to figure out what rpm you're going to run with your tractor and then figure out a way to get it to stay there and you again we all everyone tries to calculate what pistons and what cams and what gear ratios you want in the rear end and what tire size you're going to run. That's, that's all a song and dance 
to make sure that when your tractor is pulling in a 6,000 pound class, that you did all of your, all of your homework now pays off. And that tractor is very happy pulling at the RPM you're allowed in the 6,000 class. But again, just getting back to timing is that when the sled starts getting heavier, the fuel starts burning faster. It doesn't have anything to do with RPM. It has to do with force. So when your fuel starts burning faster, you've got to take timing out. Or the other thing is to do what most people had always done. You're just going to start out with less timing to begin with. It's not the correct timing, but it's, it's whatever it happens, happens to be. Because at the end of the track, they needed to have timing where the engine didn't detonate. That means that you're pulling with the wrong timing all the way down the track, and it's only right for the last 5, 10, 15 feet. Where now what we're trying to do is say no. In the beginning of the pull, you have slow-burning fuel, and so let's go ahead and let's have the appropriate timing. And then as load starts to come up and the tractor starts to change tone and it starts to labor and the RPMs start to go down, let's go ahead and start changing timing. And let's try to figure out a magical map where it's perfect all the time. And for Eurolite Limited, we had talked a little bit about the fact that some of these forced induction engines just really sound horrible until they get up there. Um, and if we can change timing and get it up there faster and hold it up there longer, well, hopefully um, it gets you a few extra inches or feet or whatever it is you're shooting for. Yeah, that was a big, cons- big thing I want to ask you about your product. You know, right off the get, I've only seen it so far in antique application. I haven't heard anybody using it in a higher speed application, higher RPM application, you know, in the sport not, of pulling. Not in, yeah, not in tractors we haven't. Yeah, but I didn't realize the motorcycle side because, well, I I love motorcycles, but I don't, I don't own one because pulling's been my hobby. I, you know, didn't know anything about you guys. And when I got in there, you know, I go, okay, this guys can handle the RPM, 13,000. If I ever get that fast, I'm going to have big problems. But, you know, then we got into talking the map points on the ignition. You know, and I expressed my concern to you about another system, you know, with only having four set RPM bands to set that timing for. And I'm, you know, and you don't want that where it gets fat or, Worst case scenario, have a lean pop, like we hear a few tractors when they're coming off the line because, well, it's nothing is quite set right. But being able to vary that timing across that curve so that way you do get the smooth acceleration. And not only that, but like we talked about, on the way back down, when you're really starting to lug that motor, that it's smooth transitions back down. That's that's the most critical, and you can, I don't even know if you and I talked about this the other day, but um, so this ignition has four different timing maps built into it already, right? It has a memory, it's got a computer, so it's it's got four four songs, uh, you know, pre-selected. So you just go in there and let's say that we have a map that has a really aggressive timing on the way down the track. Let's keep the exhaust valve cool, let's give it a lot of timing, let's keep the spark plugs clean. Let's go ahead and just pour the timing to it because, again, as I just mentioned, there are several reasons why you might want to do that. When the load is light, it's not harmful to go with more timing. When the load gets heavy, you better back out fast. 
And there's a bunch of different ways that you can do it with this ignition. You could do it manually, which is probably not the way to do it when you're dealing with the kinds of speeds and the power that, you, that you're dealing with. Uh, different on a, you know, an old Russian motorcycle with a sidecar, big deal. You reach over, you, you click on the, uh, to a different curve, and you climb the hill, and you don't have to downshift. So you can change between maps, all four maps, while you're pulling. Uh, I don't think in most antique tractors that's an advantage. I think that it's nice to be able to come up with a curve where, you know, you, you get your you get settled in on the on the speed you're going to run. You know, you're in a pace class, let's say six mile an hour, so you go ahead and run it at six mile an hour. You know what RPM that is, and we've made the ramp so that as soon as you start getting under a load, and the RPM start to drop, we start to take timing out in one or two degree increments, and I've got some some basic curves that work very well for most tractors. But on something like yours, someone that has a multiple stage fuel injection system, which I'm not familiar with, or someone that has an extremely, um, let's just say you have a tractor, we all know they're out there, that really don't come down in RPM. I mean, it's one thing to go to the county fair and see an Oliver 77, it's pulling really good, and then it just starts to lose RPM and because those sixes don't like to lug down, the, the lower the RPM gets, the faster the RPM drops. We've all seen it. I mean, my own tractor does it. So, uh, you know, it, it's again take John Deere out of the situation. If you're running at 2,500 or 3,000 RPM, your load's going to get high enough where you're either going to spin out or you're going to start to drop RPM. And the sixes drop faster than the fours. The fours drop faster than the John Deere twins. It's just the way it happens. So what you can do is you can either make a map that takes timing out in little steps, and then as your RPM starts to tank faster, you take timing out faster. It's amazing when you get things the way they should be, uh, how a gasoline engine starts to run like a diesel. It settles in, it hunkers down, whatever you want to call it, and it just does not let go, and the RPM literally comes to a halt. Somebody who actually did the research on a cam grind. <laughs> Randy Randy Wilkening in Illinois is a good friend of mine. Oh, we don't we don't talk about that goofball either. <laughs> well, the the fact that he's pulling for a cure, the the uh, the money that they raise for ca- for cancer. Um, Some of the most uh, beautiful per- antique pulling tractors you will ever see come out of the Wil- he, Wilkening camp. They are the nicest family. Um, when we go down there, you know, again we're treated we're treated like royalty. His dad's awesome. His tractors are beautiful. Um, we've had great conversation. He runs our ignition on, I think, pretty much everything he's got. But the um, the thing that I really like about what Randy has done is he actually went out with a tractor one time, and he dragged around under a heavy load, and he had his wife Karen help him, and they spent the whole day, maybe two days, and they mapped out, oh, man, it was, I don't know, a dozen different timing maps, and he went out and he found out which one worked best at what RPM. And he sort of created his own perfect map for that engine. So it doesn't matter whether it's the same timing map as anybody else. In fact, I guarantee you it's not. Um, It's not even the same timing map as what we use on other tractors. But on on that particular tractor, at every single RPM that you can imagine, he had plotted out what worked best. And uh, whether you agree with his results or not, the amount of effort that he put into it and his thought about how load, high load or low load, affects his burn rate was really brilliant. And I don't have the patience to put in that kind of time. He he did. But, um, you know, the moral of the story is you 
you get out of it what you put into it. He, he again, our conversations, although over beer and ribs, um, he, he, you know, he wanted to learn more, and we talked. We've talked for hundreds of hours, probably, um, on exactly what it is we're trying to accomplish with whatever tractor we're working on. And, and uh, so, anyway, I think that on on something that's forced induction, uh, I think it's more, even more important to make sure that it it stays in its sweet spot. Um, and I think that you have to pay attention to timing and wow. you, can, you can change from map to map. So again, if you use one map for the first half of the pull, you start to get to the point where however you're measuring it, you decide that you want to take timing out. You could just jump to another completely different map with completely different timing, different rev limits, different everything. And then you could switch again. You know, a map sensor will allow you to change twice. You could use three different maps with a regular automotive map sensor. Um, or you can control it with voltage. And if you control it with voltage, you know, I said, bing, bing, bing. You can just, you can have it jump back and forth based on boost, based on temperature, based on RPM, based on you Bluetoothing off your phone. I mean, there's a bunch of... There we go, Charles. So that's that's actually... You've gone now. You've gone to a place where I, the, the question's been bouncing around my head here for a minute or two now. With the maps that you guys are working on and, and doing that, uh, were you using a map sensor then to correlate load versus throttle position due to the governor as well? Well, we do. I haven't done this on tractors. Well, I should say we we messed around with one tractor, but that we use map sensors on on motorcycles and cars. So far, I mean, we should use it on tractors, but let me, first I'll start with a, what is a map sensor? There's a vacuum switch and there's a map sensor. So a vacuum switch is simply a, a vacuum controlled trigger. So you have power coming into one side of the post and a ground on the other side. And if your, if your manifold is creating vacuum, like when your car is sitting there in the driveway idling, it's probably got 20 inches if you were measuring it. You've got plenty of vacuum. Uh, windshield wipers, you know, in my Volkswagen are, are vacuum controlled. So you're creating vacuum, and that vacuum can be measured. And then what you're doing is you're just creating a switch that is either grounded or ungrounded based on whether you have vacuum. A map sensor just takes it to the next level. A map sensor just simply says, We'll measure, we'll measure vacuum, and based on how much vacuum there is, we'll convert it to voltage. So it'll be from zero to five volts or zero to four and a half volts. So a map, just for those people who don't know what a map sensor is or why the hell you'd ever want to put one on a tractor, <laughs> a map sensor is a souped-up, state-of-the-art, more reliable and more precise vacuum switch. That's all it is. So what you can do is you can know how would you put one on a tractor and how would you use it? Here's the problem. If your tractor goes from 20 inches to zero, as soon as you hammer the throttle and you run all the way down the track, blaze in full throttle, uh, you know, go to Tunica. You, you, if you were measuring those tractors, you might see that it goes from 18 inches to zero immediately and it stays at zero or one or two or something really, really low. So that that would be a lousy way for you to switch maps, right? You go from you go from a lot to, to nothing and, and nothing in between. That's not a great way to make a change. On a car or a motorcycle, it generally comes down slow. When it's under a load, it hovers around 10 to 15, and then when you're really under a load, it starts to drop down 
and Harley-Davidson factory Harley vacuum switches change between 7 and 8 inches on a big full-size dresser bike and 3 to 4 on a sports store or some uh, high-performance, low-weight vehicle. Usually, you don't want to take timing out until vacuum gets a little bit lower. It just allows you to climb a long hill without downshifting. But for the tractor world, it's a little secret nobody knows about is that if you actually put a vacuum gauge on your tractor and you started to make some pulls and you use that map sensor or that vacuum gauge on, let's say, your data logger, then after a bunch of pulls, you'd start to see where does your engine run on vacuum and when does RPM really start to drop. And you could maybe make an educated guess on when you'd want to start taking timing out. And then you could use a map sensor to do that. So I think it hasn't been done on a tractor because I haven't really had anybody, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, I don't think anyone is really committed to taking the time to run their tractor with a measuring device or or it's very difficult to do while you're pulling. You could put a video camera on it or something. You have to have a vacuum gauge on your tractor and find out first where it is and then decide when you'd switch. And then you can tell our ignition exactly at what volts you want to make the change. So you could say, um, let's say with high vacuum, I can't remember if it's, if it's high volts or low, but let's just say that it, at idle it's at 5 volts. Then you could say, listen, at 3.2 volts, make a change. And it would switch, and it would switch timing maps. If it got above 3.2, it would switch back. So it would, it would be a repeatable, like I said, it, it, has to be, it has to be repeatable and consistent. If it just changed randomly, nobody would want it, right? That's the problem with you changing maps with a knob. I mean, we sell rotary switches. Almost everybody buys one. A rotary switch allows you to pull with a map, and then your next event, pull again. Or you're on the dyno, and you get it under a certain RPM, and you can just switch between the four maps manually, and you can see if it likes more or less timing at that particular spot. Rotary switch is the best thing ever that I invented for tuning. I didn't invent the rotary switch, but I found a rotary switch where I wouldn't be working weekends. Um, now, I, th- I found a uh, an American-made, military-grade, waterproof rotary switch that works great for tractors that will allow you to change maps when you want it to change. And the map sensor, in order to really effectively use it, you've got to do your homework and figure out at what vacuum you want to change and then you need to measure the voltage of that vacuum switch, which I already have ours already plotted out. I already know that part. But and then, like I said, then then you could decide. Like I said at three volts you want to take out two degrees of timing, and then at two point five you want to take out another one, and then at two you want to take out another one. That's for you to decide. But that's a lot of homework. It's not. That's not for the for the lazy, faint of heart. You know. That's a big commitment. The payoff would be enormous, but you've got to you've got to put in the time. I can't give you the chart because I don't know what your tractor is going to want. All I can do is I can say here, I have the map sensor, and here's the chart that converts vacuum to voltage. That's what I can give you, and I can make your map be anything you want it to be. But you have to do the homework on your tractor. So in other words, we need to find a good tuner. You know of anybody, Joe? <laughs> there are no good. <laughs> I always say there there are really awesome engine builders and there are really awesome tuners, but there are no really awesome engine builders that can tune. 
Exactly. No, That's why you go to your different just, spots. <laughs> no, no, now I just ticked off, you know, another dozen people. But <laughs> fuck them if they can't take a joke. <laughs> it's proven. It, it's it's proven. Um, I have personal experience. If if you're a really good machinist, you pay attention to details. You're good at measuring. You understand the relationship between the different pieces. But when you're talking about something like tuning, you can't hold it in your hand. You can't look at it. You can't measure it. You can't machine it. You can't weld it. And for the guy who is I, I, for the guy who has slammed down his computer, phone, whatever, and saying, Screw you, I'm awesome at both, guess what? You're already not very good at either one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we I'm don't not, care if we <laughs> piss people off. That's par for the course. I can't. I should be a teacher because my dad always said those those who uh, what those who can do those who can't teach. And, and my dad was a teacher, and so was my mom at, at part. So is my wife, career, and so. boy, is that ever true? <laughs> That's why I'm not a puller. I'm an announcer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Those that can't tune announce. Um, <laughs> no, those who can't afford to play. <laughs> well, if 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 the best fan is an educated fan, then I guess I fall into the teacher realm. I can't do it, so I'll just talk about it. <laughs> I could. I don't know who's more eager to get my tractor done, me or him, because he wants in the seat of the damn thing. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good incentive to uh, to get you to spend the money to get it finished. Uh, I'm more worried about the one that we jointly own. Yeah, yeah. That one we cannot use your product on, and not because we don't want to, because the rules won't allow anything. (laughs) I think an HEI ignition is even, uh, I got to check the age, but I think an HEI ignition, because it's a V8 modified tractor, I think HEI is not even allowed on that damn thing. I don't know, I'd have to look. Oh, really? Must be. Well, we we are allowed up to an MSD-20, so... You say it must be pre-1980. Oh, okay. If you're going to get into uh, running a light limited super stock, just a, just a question. How far do you have to drive generally? I mean, if you live in the Midwest, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana, do, do, do you have, I mean, does every town have one? As far as class, I mean... Yeah, do you have to travel? I mean, is that a big, is that like running the NATPA circuit? Is no, no, God, no. You can no. do it within the state. Yeah. You can do it within, you know, local clubs. Um, the main reason I bought, I'm building one, is because I actually do want to do some traveling. I want to be able to take it to Wisconsin. And thanks to the rule changes that uh, Badger State made, I can actually go pull there now with an alcohol tractor. At, before that, it was a 410 intercooled was the only engine allowed and if you don't know the rules for um light limited super stock i'm not going to get them in the day but i'm sorry paul the only people that can utilize your ignition are us 370 cubic inch alcohol guys (laughs) all the other all the other class rules in the class are pertaining diesels because you know some people like sooty exhaust yeah, no, there's, well, there's, Tom's, got a, Tom's got a diesel in his. Tom needs to either finish it or go buy a diesel truck. Yeah, I keep I keep telling him to finish it, but it's not my money I'm I'm saying. So I'm just like, finish, finish it because then I, it gives me more reason to come to, to uh, Michigan and, and hang out. It's, it's, I don't oh, no, you're, you're going to want to come to Michigan 
when I get mine done and it goes to the dyno for dyno tuning, because then you'll have some numbers you'll actually be able to <laughs> that sounds, use that in the future. Awesome. We we go to Minnesota or to uh, Minnesota. We go. To, I haven't been to Minnesota for a pull at all. Um, I've been to Iowa a few times. I've been to Illinois. Just again, it kind of depends a little bit on customers. We sell a ton of ignitions East Coast. Pennsylvania. They're a different York, breed out there anyways. Maryland, Delaware. They're all Oh, Maryland. Oh, God. We know how that state goes. I hope Tony's <laughs> listening right now. <laughs> a lot of guys over there. So if so, we've been traveling more to, um, you know, east. In, uh, in Michigan, you've got Gary Baker, Tom Eisenhardt, and Josh, all guilty of, uh, of um, dabbling with our stuff and then, you know, outward from, from there. And I'm starting to meet more people down, Jim Ayler, Dylan Ayler, um, Seymour Performance down in Missouri, and some other people, Bobby Birdson, I haven't worked with, but I, he's, he's a legend, and I hope I get to. Um, you know, I've, I've, met, uh, I've met some guys who build crazy stuff. Again, Lawrence Wilson down in North Carolina. It just seems like all my friends are – it's a really long drive away, but we we travel to Michigan a lot. We go to uh, we're starting to go to Pennsylvania more. We're going to White Pine, Eastern Tennessee. I've been to Tunica twice. We'll be there again this year. Um, I like to go west. I hope that our products start to to pick up a little bit more there. But uh, like I said, East Coast man, they gobble it up as fast as I can make them. So. I just, it's kind of funny. It's like they should have a East versus West, you know? Uh, Nobody well, cares about the West Coast. you got to stay up too late to talk to them. <laughs> maybe Tunica <laughs> is the East versus West. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm 50 years old. I'm almost 51. So, yeah, I can't I can't be staying up till 3 in the morning like I used to. Um, but it, it's, like I said, it's, I have probably more questions than I have answers when it comes to tractor stuff. But, uh, like I said, I, I'm Don't worry, that, everybody but... involved in pulling has an answer on what you're doing wrong. Just yeah, ask yeah, them. Opinion, <laughs> opinions are, yeah, all over. I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that very few people have ever used an air fuel meter. That's, uh, That's black issue. magic. They barely understand carburetors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and data, now we're, we're dabbling with data loggers, and then I get even stranger looks like, why would you want to record data? Because You're talking about a sport that doesn't even want to consider, even on the Grand National high horsepower level, common rail fuel injection because, well, if you can't entrust it with a flat screwdriver or a 10-millimeter wrench, it ain't worth doing. Well, I think a lot of the reason that the AFR meters just never really took off and probably still don't is um, for a lot of, lot of organizations where leaded fuel was legal, the leaded fuel ruins the sensor so quick that just nobody bothered oh. to even try it. Yep. You, you, oh, you just brought up an amazing thing. Okay, so I'll just throw this out here real quick because this would be important for people. So there's really, there's two companies that make meters, um, the actual sensors, right, Bosch and NTK. And NTK is, is NGK spark plug, same company. So Bosch has a 4.2 and a 4.9 version. The 4.9 is the more modern one. You buy any air fuel meter out there, just about, it's going to come with a Bosch. And it'll still tell you flat out, don't use it with leaded fuel. Um, the NTK sensor, and I use just the standard calibration level. There's two more levels above that. Uh, they are not nearly as affected by lead as a Bosch. Good to know. We run, I run only NTK. Um, there's a company called Ballinger. 
and they uh, I have become their tractor and motorcycle. I forget what they call it. They made it sound really important. I'm basically the tractor and motorcycle expert. So I'm 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 their specialist. I think that's what they call it. I'm, I'm special, all right. But <laughs> because because I'm because we were buying so many, I was buying them for my dealers to use for us to learn, selling them to my friends. And then, so Ballinger actually contacted me and said, "You're really using these on motors uh, on motorcycles and tractors?" And I said, "Yeah, mostly trackers." And like, get out of town! Like nobody nobody has ever contacted us and asked us to put one of these on the tractor. So. The deal is that Ballinger bought the rights to the NTK sensor, the meter, and uh, the, it's the, in my opinion, the best meter for under two thousand dollars. It's three hundred and fifteen bucks. It's a digital meter. It's amazing, and if you use the NTK sensor, not the Bosch, I've been using my sensor for about a year and a half now. It still works. That's I don't good run to know. It, I don't put it in it. I don't put it in a vehicle. Well, we could have a whole conversation just on air fuel meters. But the first the first mistake is people leave it in their tractor. You get it tuned, and if you don't need it in there, and I'm not talking like alcohol tractors. I'm only talking about leaded fuel antique tractors like the ones that I, that I deal with. Get it in there, get it tuned, get it out. Once in a while, you want to throw it in there and check it again, that's fine. But it is a consumable. The NTK sensor is 150 bucks, and they do wear out. They plug up. So what the main thing you want to do is preheat. You want to put the power for the meter on a separate circuit, and you want to let that thing be on for at least three or four minutes before you attempt to start the engine. If the sensor's hot, it'll last a thousand times longer. And there's a lot of our customers that bought a meter, a cheap one, and they don't know anything about them. They never preheat them. It's a Bosch sensor, and they get inaccurate readings flat out wrong i'll put i'll put a brand new meter up against theirs they're not even close so you're relying on the meter and the meter is not giving you an accurate output that's why i have a little bit of a problem buying even ballinger has over aem electronics i'm a dealer for aem now also is that if you have a meter that is giving you wrong information that is worse than you not having a meter now, that shouldn't scare people from buying a meter. It should scare you from buying a cheap meter, right? It's like an air gauge. Everybody wants to ha- measure tire pressure. But what if you had an air gauge that was totally wrong? Does that mean you should never buy an air gauge? No, it means you should invest in a good one. Wait, people check the tire pressure on their tires? Really? Well, on your trailer, not on your tractor. The tractor just has to have a little bulge in the bottom. But your trailer. Oh, you know, boy, yeah. we got to yeah. talk to you about setting your tire pressures. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I haven't checked. Well, I did. I checked my tire pressures last year. They hadn't changed in five years, and I haven't changed them since. <laughs> yeah, I came from the motorcycle world. If you don't check your tire pressure, it can kill you. So um, I'm a little more anal about I that. I live my life 4.5 miles an hour at a shot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have a better chance of uh, falling off the back of the seat <laughs> than you do of anything else. Um, more, no, so I have more you know, risk falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so the moral of the story is: don't drink too much before going on a tractor parade. Right? Did you guys go on that tractor parade, by the way? Ah, uh, the Mackinac. Yeah. No, I haven't done it because. I have a fear of heights. <laughs> and we yeah, always... Me, me too. 
we always seem to have our, our local state pulling circuit. Usually the season finals is the same weekend, and we wind up announcing it, so we're, we can't be too pleased. No, no, works. that's the oh. walk. Oh, well, that's the walk. It's the weekend after. Oh, it is. Okay, gotcha. No, normally I'm over in Canada announcing. During the, oh, during the Mackinac? During the Mackinac, because the whole thing starts out as, for those of you not familiar with the state of Michigan, Mackinac Bridge connects to the lower and upper peninsula. Big bridge, five miles long. Huge, huge son of a bitch. And Upers have been trying to blow it up since 1950, whenever yeah, the hell they inaugurated yeah, keep, it. Problem is they don't have enough... From coming. <laughs> Thankfully, they don't have enough teeth up there collectively to be able to strip the wires to hook up the igniters. <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> wow, a tough crowd. We can say that. We're trolls from below the bridge. What you, yeah, I was going to say, what do you say about me when I'm not on the air? Uh, Jeez, yeah, they, yeah, they <laughs> But it starts off Labor Day weekend. It's gone on for a long, long time. I'm sure I got a book in here somewhere about how long, but they do the walk across the bridge. They've done that. That's the longest running event is Labor Day weekend. They shut it down for everybody to walk across it. I don't walk 30 feet if I can avoid it, <laughs> let alone five freaking miles across the bridge. That you're 160, <laughs> 200 feet off the ground. Ain't happening. <laughs> it gives you plenty of time to imagine how high you are off the surface of the water yeah especially considering the middle two lanes are great so they're not solid roadway okay that's yeah, not did. happening <laughs> when we came back from oakley because of all the road construction in indiana we went across the yeah i get to deal line. with that here in two weeks yeah yeah we went we went across the, the top and, and we go to we go to the up all the time and we, you know i i love being up there but i've never been across the bridge it was it was a longer drive. It was shorter time by two hours than our than our trip, you know, east to visit you guys. He's up by and that town was, on a certain bay with a green and yellow football team. Yeah, I could. Yeah, it could be. Uh, my wife was born on Super Bowl Sunday when the Packers won in 1968, and her dad almost missed her being born uh, because of the Super Bowl. So she's the football fanatic. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. She's watching the game, cussing, swearing, throwing stuff, and I'm just out grilling food, keeping her happy, working on dirt bikes or tractors or whatever it is I'm, I'm into. So we, I'm not a we, big football fan. We live 30 miles from Ford Field, and the only time we know about a Super Bowl is if it's being played here because the Lions sure shit aren't going to ever be in one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We were well, talking about like, extremely hot weather, all these hurricanes, earthquakes going on. There's a hope that the Lions might be in the Super Bowl because I think the apocalypse is coming. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell if the Packers are going to get in it or not because the first half of their season they always suck. Um, so, <laughs> see, no, that's the nice please. nice thing about being living right by Detroit. Our season's always consistent. We no, just this, suck. The, the Lions, <laughs> the apocalypse is not happening because if it was, the Lions would have beat Atlanta. But no, instead, the final play of the game, they do the most Lions thing ever and lose the game on another stupid technical rule. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, as I was saying about the bridge crossing, it always starts Labor Day weekend with everybody walking across. Then the weekend following Labor Day is always the tractor crossing that's been going on for what, the past five, six? Ten years now. Yeah, I think it's closer to ten now. Yeah, ten. I think. What, 50, yeah, there was what fifteen hundred. Uh, just short of fifteen hundred. And then the actually the second longest running 
is the San Ignis truck show. Yeah. The semi truck show. And that's always two weeks after where all the dressed up semis, you know, the classics and some really, really beautiful rigs come out. And that kind of wraps up. I think they were talking about doing a motorcycle crossing or something here in the future. Just keep that going on, you know. But, I mean, it costs, especially this year for the tractor crossing, when they damn near double their rates, very cost prohibited, you know, unless you really just want to drive a tractor across the long-ass freaking bridge. I mean, I think it's pretty neat to have, especially if you, like, uh, Ethan Barry, I think him and his dad both went, and they had a really Oh, God. We really had to bring him into this. We were having a good conversation. That guy's nuts. He likes Moleans. (laughs) Yeah, and he's a Ford guy, and so am I, so I guess we have the same weaknesses. Um, I don't own a Moline, but I... I didn't realize you were a Ford guy. I'm sorry. I'll speak slower. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. That's all right. I understand you perfectly. When I went, I went to Harrisburg, and I was talking to Ethan about coming up with some distributors for Moline. It's unfortunately because of you go for the ones that you sell the most of. Moline's been sort of at the back burner a little bit here, but but Ethan came to Harrisburg with a box packed with every kind of distributor that you could possibly find on one, and just said, "Here, just take apart, do whatever you got to do, just use this, you know, to come up with your prototype." And uh, it's hard to knock, hard to knock Ethan. No, he, hard, Ethan's a great guy. He, he's he's fantastic. So I got to hang out with yeah him and uh, and his dad at uh, Oakley, and then a bunch of other customers. I said we got a lot of friends over in Michigan because the darn lakes in the way. Uh, it's unfortunately a little tougher to come visit you guys. Uh, Josh Blackburn is a is a dirt biker. So is his uncle Tom, and so am I. So we're trying to. Uh, at some point in time, we get together either for a dirt bike trip or a snowmobile trip. Tom's a dirt biker? Or... I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, they used to have a whole fleet of XRs, I guess, Honda XRs. And, and um, actually, I have an, one XR that I got from him, a little little kid's one. Then again, I can so, yeah, see I was, Tom I... still doing that. I, say, I hope I'm still that awesome when I'm in my 70s. Tom's a badass guy. Oh, and no his... doubt. He's he's awesome. I, I like I said. I wish Tom's I was Tom's what to those guys. 76, 77 now. He's got to be. Yeah, he has to be. Because Talmadge was always his birthday weekend. Yeah. I met he him still runs marathons and shit Josh. too. God, I knew there's something fucked up with him beyond owning John Deere's. <laughs> <laughs> those guys are awesome. <laughs> I love them. We're uh, like I said. The only bad thing is that a lot of my friends, most of my friends, are not in Wisconsin. My new family. I can't you know, blame you there. Great place to be from. Yeah, when you work at a you work at a you work at a dealership, and your friends are your customers who come in the store because we did you know we did dirt bike rides and snow rides and street rides and I did all that and my son still works there. And then when we get into motorcycle ignitions, most of our ignitions go to other countries. So you're, you could be friends on Facebook, or you can send pictures back and forth, but it's, it's not like you're going to get together and, and just meet. So I have met some of our customers from other countries who have come here, but I haven't been able to travel there. But then getting into tractors, it's a little bit easier because it's, for the most part, it's a Midwest thing. Just go to the East Coast. That's a good reason to travel once in a while. Um, Tunica, you know, Party Central. 
everybody gets together and sees somebody they haven't seen for the for the previous year. And I and Pete Pesnick, Cat Brothers. Uh, Pete is the one. That Kansas really, City. Him, <laughs> Pete and Pete and uh, Brian Lively from Hook Magazine talking. There's one guy I will never crack a joke about. Pete, Pete, on the other hand, still isn't sure what the hell to make of us. No, no. First time he met us, we put a four-wheeler on the back of a wobble-wheeled packer. Drunk off our asses at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, ask him about that. He'll he'll get a smirk and shake his head. <laughs> the Michigan boys can sure as shit drink, drunk motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he- he 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 talked me into coming down to Tunica and, and him and Brian and said, Hey, you, you you vend with us. You know, I said, Well, I don't have enough product. At that time I really didn't have much to offer. We we're just getting into it. And they said, Hey, you come down, you hang out with us, you can be my cat brothers and Pete and I've been friends ever since and, and Brian's done a great job of supporting us. I write articles now for the hook. Uh, I don't know if anyone ever reads them. Actually I fire. just went through some I, I forgot in when I was in Gordyville to renew my subscription. But actually, I was going through reading some of your uh, articles you've written, and actually, there's one I think it was the wire ends or wire connector one I never got to read on. But uh, oh, okay. I really want to read that one. But um, no, that's when you did your water tower analogy. I'm going, huh? I read this in an article. It, it just seems to be something that people can relate to, where. Again, when you say that a coil is hot, that's really a bullshit term. What What do you mean it's hot? Like you can't touch it? No, no, like high performance. And it's like you know, dude, you know I got a mean? blast or two. I am awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. chrome case, even. It's amazing. Well, I was, was going to say if it's if it's a bright color or it's chrome, and it has to be high performance. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. Just yeah, a, just uh, ask Tom Hurley. <laughs> So if I told you, uh, let's say, if I said something about an E-Core or a C-Core or an I-Core, have you read enough of my articles to know what that means? Like I said, no, I haven't because I literally forgot to renew my subscription last January. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've got some. uh, Well, my articles are, uh, if you like nerdy stuff, they're borderline nerdy. There is one. Oh, they're great. And that's. That's the whole point of, uh, you know, our hookers and blow segment, or in this point, shocking hookers, you know. <laughs> shocking hookers, yeah. You know, we're, is we're to have some... that technical aspect to it. And, you know, everybody goes, oh, you're going to bore them to death. No, this is what our fan base seems to love is what we do, being technical and getting into the nitty gritty on stuff, because there's a lot of people looking for them answers out there, and they're not always readily available. And being able to listen to a voice and have something explained to them, even at a very technical level, they might just go, hey, I still don't understand it, but I'm going to call this guy here because he seems to have an idea on what the hell, or he's got one hell of a good line of bullshit, and I'm going to see if he might be able to help me. Or some people are just chicken shit to ask a stupid question in front of their friends, so they let us do it. Yes. Well, you know, there's. I would say that... Um, easily half of the information on the internet is wrong in some way, shape, or form. You don't now, say. If you're using, hey, if you're dumbing it down. Let's sixty-seven point eight percent of all statistics are made up too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, there you go. <laughs> oh, you know, say that again. I want to jot that down. I don't want to get that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a quiz.
quiz at the end, David. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna um, we're gonna be coming up with some articles on air fuel meters. Uh, we're gonna get into data logging because Brian Lively thinks people are gonna want to know that. Yes, I think please. It'll be entertaining. I, yes, I don't please. think a lot of people will use them. Okay, so that's what I'm gonna do. Is I'm gonna first I'm gonna get into uh, the one in October that I have to submit. That one I think I'm gonna do air fuel meters because I want to show an example of. Something that you use to measure, like a tack. Well, everybody knows what a tachometer is for. But if you, so an air fuel meter, since most people don't use one, I want to explain what it is, how it works, and why it might be important to someone. Then, then the obvious next step would be, well, I couldn't watch my meter because I was paying attention to driving, so I put my little right. camera on it. So, <laughs> so then what you do is, yeah, so right, pay attention to where you're driving. Uh, don't look at the meter. So then the next step is, then if I'm recording uh, RPM and I'm recording air fuel and I'm recording exhaust temperature and I want to record a few other things, how can I do that while I'm trying to drive? Well, a data logger is an easy way to do it. So or the poor man's that. method, a GoPro aimed at the gauges. A GoPro, we we use a GoPro. And I have used GoPros or, or contours. I know a lot a of truck pullers that do that. Why not? I mean, why not? They're cheap and everybody knows how to use them. The biggest problem with a data logger is that it's really the it's not the actual uh, logger itself; it's the software. Again, I'm 50. We didn't have computers until high school, and I was a computer. I did take computer programming in, in high school, but the technology and the screens and the way things function now are just so radically different that I have my you know my kids in their perfectly. Now we know who to reference when we get our DOS system up and running, so we can do our shows. <laughs> yeah, right. Get that Commodore 64 out and knock the dust off. <laughs> As we literally have two audience. smartphones and two laptops yeah. up and running at this point. <laughs> half your audience is like, what's a Commodore 64? <laughs> it's, uh, we want to, you know, we want to get into that kind of stuff. I, I don't, our articles are not going to continue to be about ignition. There's only so much you can talk about spark. You need to talk about fuel and here's the dangerous thing. I'm going to be talking about carburation and maybe injection, uh, about intake manifold design, exhaust manifolds, and I know I'm going to step on some toes when I write those articles in the hook because you have to tease, not tease, you want to educate people on what they should be paying attention to, but you have to be careful not to give away secrets that people work very hard to get. So yeah. I'm respect I'm respectful of secrets, but there are some. We know my viewpoint on the carburation versus injection stance. I've never carbureted my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> you never thought of it that way, have you, Charles? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Hopefully won't again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, see. If you hear, if you hear, the, 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 the follow-up to that is if you're hearing bubbles, it's probably not worth it anyway. So, <laughs> this is where our we're show going down the we're going down the wrong road now. <laughs> nice part yeah, of our show is we don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, if you're easily offended, you probably tuned out. A long time ago. Oh, but, uh, hell. If we don't pay them, they don't listen anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, um, 
like I said, we're, I, I don't I don't try to portray myself as being an engine builder or a tuner or anything that I'm not. What I'm really probably good at is just uh, gathering information, talking to intelligent people, reading scientific stuff. Oh, well, you guys have heard of E3 spark plug? Oh yeah. Oh God, the latest and greatest. Yeah. But they don't like, know uh, basic electrical theory. Well, the split fire spark plug, which was popular back in the day. Oh, I remember when them came out too. The yep, little fork yep. tongue. Everybody had those. Well, the thing is that those of us who know more about spark plugs know that that's a gimmick. I mean, if there was ever a gimmick, that's it. And, um, and the three the fire, NDK. and then what was the what brand had the quad plug? Oh, oh they, somebody still makes a quad plug. Yeah. Uh, NGK actually might even make some that has more than three, although, again, it's just a marketing gimmick, and they'll, you know. Anything uh, more than one's useless. Yeah, it's uh, actually. Electrical energy looks for the past or least resistance. Anything more than one actually is a detriment. And so I had a friend here locally who, who pulls all over the place, and he says, I love E3 spark plugs. And I said, you know what? You probably want to rethink that, and and I'll tell you why in the next hook magazine. I happen to be writing an article about that particular thing. I said, just you get the hook right. Yep. I said, read it. If you if you hate the rest of my articles, and even if you hate this one, you got to read it because there is a guy far smarter than me that took eight different independent scientific um, experiments about spark plugs and about flame expansion. And he put it, rolled it all into one amazing article. And he proved beyond a doubt, I think they used, oh, I don't know, over a dozen different ways to test how fast and how efficient a f- the flame could grow so that you could burn more fuel. And in every single instance, and if you read the, uh, the Hook magazine, it's in there, um, having no ground uh, electrode was actually the most efficient in, in um I'm not going to say that you should run a surface gap spark plug because head design or John Deere you know, cylinder design uh, is not conducive. Yeah, to you that. don't want to do that because it's actually going to start eroding away at your head eventually. You, you want the you want the flame you want the spark to be out into the flame, and there are sometimes when you don't want to they drag cars or something that's high compression, high RPM, super high turbulence. Um, it can put the flame out. But a surface gap spark plug really is used on rotary engines. Um, so a sur- so they, they compared a surface gap, which has no ground strap, and then a single ground strap, like a, a, you know, like an Autolite 386. And then they took one of these E3-type ones. They didn't name them by name, but uh, a multi-ground strap. Uh, and they put them through a series of tests. And this flat failed on its face. Worst design. And it makes scientific sense so again maybe you don't like the nerdy stuff maybe you don't want to read my articles or you don't want to have those kinds of discussions because again it's kind of boring unless you're really into it but what you should at least take away from it is before you buy spark plugs you should pay attention to how they're built and that's why i think that was a two-part article or, or maybe it was a three where I, I got into spark plug design first and then got into that kind of stuff. And Sounds just, like I got and, some back issues I need to get from Brian. I'm not trying, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to force um, 
information down people's throats. I'm just what I'm tell our customers is. Oh, they don't want to learn about it. They don't have to read the article on the story. Yeah, everything that you hear uh, or read on the internet, um, just question it enough to do a little poking around. Someone tells you something about octane. Don't totally believe them. Um, especially if it's the guy selling you the fuel, um, <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> what, what he's what, got an unbiased opinion, but, but that new, that, that new stuff, I mean, yeah, it's really expensive, but that, that new stuff they have, that's, that's actually, you know, it's like fluorescent green. He said, that's the best stuff in everything. I should run it in everything. Mix it with my old fashions on Friday. Will I? <laughs> all right with that paul as we ask all our all our guests who, heroes and legends i mean who's helped make you uh get into this lunacy you're involved with all right i don't have any i don't know they wouldn't be considered legends of pulling perhaps but they're Matt legends Butler. in your own mind. It don't matter. Uh, they're a legend in my mind. My 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 one of my best friends now, Matt Butler. Him and his dad and some of their family members, they've been building tractors forever. A ton of V8 tractors, some rail stuff. Uh, they were into this stuff. I think since Matt was a kid. Uh, they're, they're they're current pullers also. But uh, Matt lives in southern Wisconsin, and he invited me down to a pole and explained what's going on and tried to bridge the gap between the tractor pulling that I experienced when I was younger and where the sport is now. I um, have asked him a bunch of really dumb questions and he's, and he's laughed once in a while, but uh, he's always answered them. And again, I, without Matt, I wouldn't be, I don't think our business would be anywhere near where it's at now. And Matt's also helping me rebuild my, um, my tractor engine. So I'd have to say Matt. And then Lawrence Wilson. Uh, again, I wish I lived closer to some of these guys that have helped me out, but I can't thank those people enough because Lawrence has been in it forever, and he's built some ridiculous, you know, uh, off-the-hook moling engines. And, again, has been very patient with uh, answering questions. Tom Eisenhart in carburation discussions and theories on what we should do. Um whether he was a good or bad puller in, in a good way. I love to joke that he's such a pain in the butt, but he's not. I just love him. But in, No, you were right with saying he's a pain in the ass because Tom is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> my wife always says, my, my wife always jokes, she's like, how can you talk to Tom two or three times a week and, and carry on conversations for two or three hours at a time? And it's because he's hungry for information and so am I. So we're always comparing notes and if he has a pull, I get videos right away and, and I have a problem that I can't solve. I call him right away. Uh, he's incredibly intelligent and, and again, very patient with my stupid questions. Uh, everybody in the pulling industry has, has been crazy uh, patient with me uh, while I get up to speed. But um, like I said, I'd have to say that between Tom and Lawrence and uh, Matt probably have answered about 95% of my questions. So they're my, le- they're my legends, I guess. Well, I think we got a definite return guest again to talk more on yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I've, I've still got quite stuff I could we could I could keep this going probably for another two hours. I know you could easily, but at yeah. some point we got to go yeah, to bed. Do you, you edit this down? Is this is a ten minute show? You said right? So you yes. Edit, you yes. Absolutely. 
We're we're gonna get it nailed down to where somehow we get MSD is awesome out of you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they they are awesome. They're my inspiration to be uh, to offer better products. Uh, if, you can, if you can exceed what MSD has done in the ignition industry, you you you'd be done, right? I mean, you'd be there. Uh, I mean, a little tire. Oh, what you're talking fire. about? We're already there with announcing. We're on our second million. I'm not only that. I'm going to edit this thing so that it sounds like you're you're saying that Tom Eisenhart with that handlebar mustache looks like uh, Hulk Hogan had a bastard love child and then pushed it down a flight of stairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he looks like a superhero character that'd be a tunica. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was great! <laughs> <laughs> edit that. Edit that out, please. No. Nope. Uh, I ain't scared of Tom. He, he, <laughs> he lives four hours away from me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. By the time he finds you, you'll be in Canada. So, yeah, I'm a mile from there. He can come over here and kick my ass. I don't care. I'll make him dinner. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm I have an advantage in that my uh, my wife gets along with all of them, so they can they can disown me, you know, but they won't they, they wouldn't do bodily harm because. Uh, so along with all those guys, Paul, thanks for coming on. How, how do these pullers and other lunatics involved in the world, uh, find you guys with uh, C5 performance? There's a C5 performance Facebook page. Just type in C5 performance. Our website is C5 ignitions with an S on the end.com. Uh, otherwise you can contact me. My, we're allowed to get phone numbers. My oh, yeah. Work phone. Work phone is area code 920-403-0555. But I'm on Facebook, you know, 24-7. So you can can like me as a personal. My my personal profile is Paul Crow. And uh, then you can do the uh, C5 Performance Facebook uh, or, like I said, C5Ignitions.com. Or you can go to, you know, you can go to some of the polls and, Meet me there, or if you're friends with some of the people that I mentioned, they usually know where I'm going. So, love to meet people in person. Perfect. So, uh, Paul, stay on line for a minute. Uh, we're going to go to commercial break because Armstead needs nicotine bad. I mean, yeah, this is it's been like two hours. So, with that, this is Sidetracked on Pulling Radio Network. You make your living going up and down the road, and time is money. Would you like to save up from 5 to 25% on fuel, up to 25% more power with better bottom-end acceleration? You need to get with DieselFreak.com and their truck tuning services. Works for Cummins, Caterpillar, Detroit Diesel, and more. If you want to kick it up another notch, you can get their off-highway tuning for high horsepower. It'll unlock the RPM limiters, twin turbo setups, VGT turbo replacement, EGR valve delete, DPF delete, urea delete, and more, and it all comes with a 30-day warranty. Now, only that, they've also moved into the agriculture realm. They'll bring their dyno on site to you. Get a baseline on your tractor, write a custom tune for it, load it up, and show you the difference. Also with a 30-day warranty, save fuel, increase power with performance tuning from DieselFreak.com. For Case IH, Challenger, Claus, Fent, John Deere, Massey, Ferguson, New Holland, Valtra, and more, DieselFreak.com. They can be reached at 989-748-4145, 989-748-4145. Ask for Wade and tell them the bullet Radio Network sent you.
All right, and we're back with Sidetracked here on the Pulling Radio Network. Thank you to Wade Lone at Diesel Freak. Of course, Ed Schubert and Sun Pico Oil. And, of course, Mr. Tony Burkhardt, way up there in Harbor Beach, Michigan, Dirty Hooker Diesel. Thank you. Final authority on all things Duramax. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Some of the greatest people we've got for sponsors out there delivering some of the best products you can find in the industries they're involved in. And uh, always glad to be able to go, hey, you got a problem? Talk to these guys here. And be able to actually stand behind that, not just be blowing smoke up their ass, but go, nope, this is this is who you need to talk to because these guys know their shit and know what they're doing. Yep. Glad to have them part of the team. Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Paul Crow C5 Ignitions. Just a great product. It's so much more we could talk about it. We're going to have to have them on for a second edition of Shock and Hookers. And, uh, yeah, I'm left with more questions than answers on some of it. And, you know, it's I a, had a couple things I wanted to ask them, but it's like, we've been two hours. Okay, enough. <laughs> I can keep going. But we, we probably could have gone all night. And, uh, we want to do keep our, uh, suppose that our second call-in show to be our longest ever right now for yeah. four and a half hours but no uh some great products uh one we didn't get to mention is probably one of the coolest a uh actual replacement for that works coil that works with your uh point setup but it still allows that uh, multi-firing with a factory distributor uh you can literally pull the dis- the condenser out you don't need it all the co- points are doing is actually triggering the coil. Still allows that multi-fire setup that we talked about. Just a great, great product. That was a thing. So now it I just got came out. It just came out. Uh, he debuted work. it. Exactly. It is. The guy is a mad genius with uh, ignition systems, and uh, great to have Paul come on with us. I, 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 when I called him last week to talk about the light limited literally 10 minutes into the conversation i go you know what i got him on the show is the product and not only the product but the support and the knowledge that he is willing to share with the community whether it be motorcycles or pulling just you know to help his fellow members of that group is just simply amazing and I, I can't say enough about him. Arden, I mean, you know, Al Chalmers, WC. Come on, man. You could do something a little bit bigger. Get in the 6,000-pound class. WC, who cares? <laughs> no, I was I, the thing about the AFR meter, the which one to get and how to operate it and, and its resistance to lead gas fumes, huge. I, I've wanted an AFR meter on an antique tractor for, God, 12, 15 years. So that the, the urban legend of lead gas is bad for them. That was that's cool. That was good knowledge. I was really happy to learn that. Now, got cranking. I'm just glad I was able to come back on him on one at least one topic as far as the multi carburetor thing. And it took me a minute to think about that because everybody knows on how few brain cells I actually operate on, mainly due to a severe, uh, passionate love for Budweiser. And nicotine probably burning off a lot of brain cells, but both of which were consumed in the production of this this uh, episode tonight. Oh, absolutely! You know, it's been <laughs> how can you not get into hookers and not drink? Usually, one precedes the other. 
Absolutely. So with that, you know what? Long enough episode. My name's Armstead. My name is Posh. Good night.